All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Planker Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Schaefer, and today on the show, we have the man behind the best competition courses in skiing. His name is Dirk Scheumann, and he is the CEO of the German company that has built the courses for Nine Nights, the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea, and now the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. I reached out to Dirk to learn a bit more about his company, their creative process, and to find out how someone starts a company this large. As always, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Follow us on Instagram at twoplankerpod, and send us a DM if you want to see someone on the show. Thanks to everyone who has already sent in names. Uh, we're working on setting up some of those episodes. Some of the people want to do it at a later date, so just keep sending them in, and we'll do our best to get it done. That's all for the intro. I hope you like it. So here we are back with another episode, and we have a special guest on today. Uh, Dirk, would you like to introduce yourself for everyone? Uh, yes, of course. Hello, everyone. My name is Dirk Scheumann. Um, I'm from Germany, and I'm the founder and uh, CEO of uh, Schneestern. So this will probably be one of our most business-oriented episodes, because I'm not even sure how I found out about your company, but when I learned that you guys were the ones responsible for building some of the best courses in skiing, I, uh, I really wanted to reach out and find out more about you and, and more about your business. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning a little bit more today. Oh, thank you very much. I'm also cool to be here. And it's, it's an honor actually to talk about the business side as well after so many years of writing and style and, and even lifestyle. So it, it's good to give some ideas even about the, the business background because it's yeah it, it's quite important you know to grow our sports and everything around yeah so Dirk you're a great example of somebody that that uh was a skier that um you know loves the industry and then went on to you know contribute something significant to it um so if you could just tell people more about your background you know maybe start with where you grew up and then we can get into your your ski career itself Okay. Um, yeah, that's actually quite a, a long story. You know, um, it, it wasn't planned that I become a skier. So it was. I've been actually born in um, East Germany, and um, in a little, yeah, in a little city next to the Czech border, there are some mountains, but there was only one little ski resort. So it was not a, a ski region. You know. So it, it was just a little thing, and uh, I remember when we went to the to the woods and was um, creating our own slopes. It was super rough stuff. We just, um, you know, it was far from all this crazy infrastructures and big ski resorts, you know, today. And um, then actually, my uh, my parents went um, after the uh, after the you know when Germany came together. Uh, they went over to West Germany, uh, next to Munich, uh, closer to the Alps. And this is when I was uh, was 14. And this was actually the time where I start to become a real skier, you know, because at this moment we had uh, ski resorts around, we had mountains in front of our door. And um, I personally felt totally in love for skiing. 
and um i always was um you know interesting in doing you know different things you know skiing in general riding down a slope or carving what became kind of boring for me and um I, at this time i was um already becoming a kind of professional aggressive inline skater and uh, i thought okay this is a kind of similar movement let's try it on the skis as well and was actually the time when also in the us the first free ski hype shows up um i remember when uh, salomon has built the first uh, twin tip the 720 or was it or was it 1080 how, how was it the, the yellow one to ski from salomon i didn't remember actually um anyway so this was the time when the us boys shows up and show the world what you can do on skis and i thought okay well that's great exactly what i want to do and um at this time i couldn't even buy any twin tips because they were simply not available in the german market so and thanks god a friend of mine had a good contact to the us and um i gave him all my money i had and he was organizing me some some skis from the from the us and until i got the skis i i took my my racing skis one meter and 90 was a head one without um, any um, uh, radius or, or something super straight. And I just bend them up on, on the back to, to do some, yeah, to, to go backwards. And uh, yeah, it was quite interesting uh, time. So, um, and then once I got the ski uh, from the US, so I had my first winter in my hands. Uh, so I, I knew, okay, this is actually the beginning from, from something super big. I was super passionate and from that moment on, I actually used every second you know to be on the ski you know to to try it out going backwards started to try out some rails and everything so this was actually the moment um yeah where i fell in love to the to the free ski yeah and so i i, I did look it up while you were speaking so it was the the solomon 1080 it was the first twin uh, the 1080 tip. yeah yeah the, yeah it exactly. was one of the first twin tips ever created um and so who were your influences were you you know how did you kind of become aware of freestyle skiing did you see people on the mountain doing stuff or were you you know on the early internet looking at videos like how did you even find out that it was kind of a discipline within the sport um i actually got the first pictures from from magazines there at this time there was showing up first magazines um and there was um you know they had some articles about uh, the free ski uh from which happened in, in the us and i've seen these pictures and i was some um, interesting and then i did a little research but it was not that you know it, it was quite fast that it was clear for me okay this is what i want to do and now i yeah need to do something so i banded up my skis um i forced my friend to organize me some skis from the us and uh yeah this is what it started yeah and so uh so where did it go from there? I'm sure, you know, especially when the sport was first getting big, there were no really competitions, right? It was probably, did you know many people that were also into freestyle skiing? Um, at the beginning, especially in, in, in Germany, we've been, or especially me, I was kind of alone, you know, there were some, some guys, they've been always a little bit different. And I was, um, before I went into this, um, uh, freestyle skiing I was more uh, on free ride and um, or, or big mountain riding and, and these guys was all always even in Germany and Europe they've been a little bit different you know than 
uh, normal skiers or racers or whatever. So um, this is why I have started to do the first tricks actually on, on powder jumps with big um, powder skis, you know, this was kind of beginning and out of this scene actually there was a couple of people even here in, in, in Germany and Europe, they have started to get into more and more into the, the freestyle and, and the slope style idea, you know. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, how long was it before you started to see success within the freestyle skiing world? I mean, did did you start attracting companies that said, hey, you know, you're kind of the only guy in Germany skiing this way. Let us give you a pair of our skis or or how did it, how did success come to you in the ski world? I remember a friend of mine, he was a big mountain skier and he has a contract with Atomic at this time. And um, he, he, he knows me and he told me, look, um, Atomic will start to create a first pump track soon. Uh, pump track, what I'm talking, um, twin tip, twin tip, sorry. Um, and uh, then he gave me the contact to the, to the Atomic team manager and um, I met him. I told him what I'm doing. And, um, and so I became one of the first Atomic Frisky team members in, in Germany. At this time, there was only one Austrian guy with me. So we've been actually two guys and we got the first uh, Atomic uh, twin tip skis called Bump this time. Was it? Yeah, he called Bump. And um, uh, to be honest, it was not a, the best ski at all. So we, we broke, I don't know, 15 peers a month or something. It was crazy. So they even Atomic needs to try to figure out, okay, what is going on? And um, during the years now, they developed uh, great skis. But the beginning wasn't that uh, good, actually, you know. So, um, um, yeah, this is actually the story behind. So over a friend of mine, I get into the first uh, free ski team from Atomic. That's incredible. And so it's funny because especially the, the younger audience doesn't, I'm not sure like they're aware of how, how fast skiing has evolved in terms of technicality and skill. So what, in terms of like, uh, like the, the tricks that would really blow people away, what was, what was it like in the day? Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the major goal at this time was simply to ride different so everything what was different compared to what you could see as an, uh, on, on normal slopes and skiing that was allowed actually you know so we start to go backwards we start to um jump everywhere you know we don't uh, we've been this kind of um rebellions actually also because no one really was um i don't know thought about it everybody was like, what what they are doing there you know now they 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 coming in switch or whatever they what is this kind of skis um, and um what's was quite funny to see and this is what um gives us our motivation and uh, we start to do some of course 180s 360s then we started to flip i mean um back flips front flips it's nothing crazy you know when you look at the boys today, what they are doing, but back in the days it was was crazy because you have never seen this. There, people didn't even know any jumps or rails. They was just wonder what, what the fuck is the 
the the metal piece doing there in, in the middle of a slope it was was super crazy and, and want to slide over such a such a rail people was just thinking what they are doing what the hell they are doing they couldn't understand it no no fucking way and my personal problem was that they didn't even um you know accept it or respect it so there was kind of you, you know back in the days there was it wasn't not integrated um in this um, ski sports uh, society um so we need to actually also fight a little bit for it and um but yeah back to the tricks of course we started with all the basic stuff and um a couple of years later we have started to you know um combined rotation with flips it, that wasn't wasn't at the beginning you know yeah and it, it's interesting because that what you're describing sounds very much like what i've heard about the reaction in america people were not very receptive to freestyle skiing at the beginning you know they thought it was annoying they banned jumping on the mountain all of that um the one thing that that i'm wondering is did snowboarding have any influence in Germany at the time, because I know in America, like the birth of twin tips kind of came from seeing snowboarders in the park. So was there any influence there in Germany? Uh, yes, of course, mm -hmm. um, definitely. And uh, we we all on the free ski scene should say thank, thank you to the snowboarders because they have started the development, definitely. And um, many of my friends has been snowboarding, snowboarders at this time. And of course, they, they were super inspiring because they had already started to improve this kind of style and this kind of different riding, you know, using different options on the mountains. And um, yeah, I would say they're a big, big influencer at this time, even in Germany. Yeah. How long were you a professional skier before you decided that you wanted to change careers and, uh, and do something, you know, more traditional, but still pretty untraditional in terms of the business world? um i was actually six years in an in atomic team uh, as a kind of professional of course it was far from the program the boys here have in the olympic games now so it was uh, more of course it was more easy you know um, we traveled around we had some events mostly was photo shoots a lot of material testing so we tried to develop skis bindings boots um, because everything we got at this time was, um, you know, super influenced by by racing and the knowledge the companies had at this time, or from from big mountain skiing and, and, and uh, free riding. So it was super interesting time. It was low pressure, and it was, um, and of course it was, um, you know, different. It was a rebellion kind of, you know, at this time. Um, I had still hairs that have been green, so we've been always we, we've been also looking different, you know. So it was um, a good good time. Yeah, you always had a uh, a rebellious side to you that kind of drew you to this side of skiing. Uh, yes, always. Mm -hmm. I'm, I I don't know, you know. There are people they they would like to do something standardized, similar every day, but I'm not. I I don't know where it comes from maybe from my parents they you know when they went from um, when they quit um, to be in east germany went over to west germany it was also kind of you know not the kind of normal movement so maybe i got it from my parents so i was always looking for for different ways to do things you know yeah so 
based on my research, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it looks like it was about 1999 where you started your company, and you'll have to forgive me because I, I can't pronounce it. What is the, the name of, of your company? Uh, the name is Schneestern. <laughs> that is going to be uh, trouble for me to pronounce. But oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> if, I, if I could change something in my life, I would go back 22 years and change the name of the company for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, where did you get the idea? I, I read that you had some carpentry experience um, that could have, you know, prepared you for it. So how did you how did you work yourself into creating your own company? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I've never planned to run uh, a company by myself because I've been growing in a kind of, um, you know, uh, normal families. I don't have any entrepreneurs around me or, you know, crazy people. They run companies. We're super ground-based, uh, grown up um, with my brothers, my family. As, I, as, I, as you said, I've been uh, a carpenter back in the days before I went um, back to university and become an um, uh, engineer. Uh, so super, super, yeah, ground and, and base level oriented. Um, but uh, I can tell you exactly why I founded the company because it was of my of my conflicts I had this time. So I had actually two major conflicts. Um, the first conflict was after um, my kind of professional career as one of the first free skiers when the, went um, to the end, there was no infrastructures for me to ride in my home home resorts. So this was a big um, conflict I had and uh, I need to solve this, you know, because there was no park, there was no, no rails and nothing. And um, this is why I started to think about, okay, what can I do now to solve this problem? And I went to the resort and I tell them, look, uh, we need some jumps. Would be cool to have some rails. Can I can I do something even for free? So I started to um, to build uh, a little park there for free. I was uh, stealing some metal pieces from construction sites, you know, with my friends during the night. And then we installed them in the in the park and uh, start shaping. So it was um, actually totally connected to my personally problem that there was no parks. And uh, the second conflict I had, and this is a conflict I still, which still motivates me, that uh, at this time the, um, the free skiing wasn't that accepted, you know, by the, by the skiing society at all. So I really want to change this as well, because since we have started to do this sport, um, I, I always thought, okay, this is this is really serious what we're doing you know maybe we're looking different maybe we have more fun than the racers but come on what we're doing is um you know it's serious and now after 20 years we can see that uh it's an olympic disciplines now and um the whole world is watching watching us and what what the guys are doing is super crazy so come on um it was a long way uh but this conflict um, still motivates me. So to, to summarize, um, why I started the company is um, there was no infrastructures and there was no, let's say, respect for the things we have started to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for people that like are, are unfamiliar, at this point, your, your, your company has built, you know, the courses for uh, nine nights, the Olympic slope style courses, 
the big air courses. So what the company that you have now, did you ever imagine that it would get this big when you first started? No, definitely no. It was a, you know, it was a kind of experiment. So at um, when there was a time when I was um, still at the school um, on my way to become a civil engineer, uh, next to them, I started to build the first parks, you know, did some drawings and I thought, okay, maybe this is kind of cool to spend the winter in a park and build something. But I, I didn't um, realize at this time that that could be a really serious business model. And, um, but then I, I, I could actually feel it that um, when I was starting to build something in my home resort and um, I got um, a very good response, you know, from people around me, they, they have seen me and, and they were asking me, okay, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I start to explain them. And so I found some people, they, they slowly start to understand um, why I'm doing this and why many other people have started around the world doing this. So, um, and this gives me a kind of, um, yeah, motivation to, to, give him a, to give him a chance, you know? And I said, okay, let's give him a try. And I founded um, the company just to, uh, you know, make it kind of official. And uh, yeah, I think the rest is history. Since that, uh, uh, I couldn't get out anymore. <laughs> yeah. So the so the first projects you had were just designing the parks for local uh, local mountains. Did you do anything during the summer, or was it only in the winter? Um, at the first time, it was only in winter, okay. but um, especially after the first winter, when I built the park in my home resort, um, even the summer became quite busy because I thought, okay let's talk to other ski resorts about this. Um, some friends of mine, they did some um, events at this time and they asked me, hey, can you help us to um, create an, uh, a good jump or can you help the resort um, to, I don't know, build something because I know them. So it was started very, very small and then it's, uh, yeah, it, it started to spread it away. So I did some visits during the summer. Um, <clears throat> my first year visiting other ski resorts and um, yeah was telling them my story and uh, was telling them my thoughts about the future and uh, there was uh, two more ski resorts at this time they they said oh wow that sounds interesting let's let's give him a try next year so i had something to prepare already in my first summer uh, for the next winter so and this is how it became busy also during the during the summer wow so what was the, the first large project that you did? I mean, a lot of, it seems like a lot of your work now is very, is large events, um, especially in the skiing world. So what was the first, you know, big project where you might've been like, wow, this is, uh, this is tougher than anything I've done before. Ooh, you know, it's, um, this is hard to say. I'm, I'm not sure if there was a moment where I can really tell you, okay, this was now the, one of the toughest projects because back in the days even a little park or producing a rail or get them up on the mountain was a fucking tough job you know because no one uh, really was supporting us so we we need to find creative solutions to um you know to get the things done we had in mind 
So there was um, no cat support. There was no snow making at this time. You know, we had to, I had to ask the ski resorts to collect some snow somewhere that we can start building something. And uh, this was the challenges at this, this uh, time back in the days, you know, it's, um, it's not like today then when we here in China tell the boys, okay, we need this amount of snow, they press the bottom and boom, it, 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 it gets out from a great snowmaking system. No, you know, at this time, we need to um, go to the official CEO of the ski resorts and tell them, okay, this is what we want to do. We need some resources from snowcats to collect the snow from this area to build a huge pile exactly here. And then we need this and this to shape it. We need fences, we need this and this. It was super hard to explain because they had no idea, you know, no idea. So this was the challenges back in the day. So I would say each project was a challenge compared to the, to the time we've been. Yeah. And so what were, and especially at the beginning, what were the features that you were building? Because I'm sure the, they probably weren't as complex as now. Was it just simple rails and jumps? Yeah, we, uh, you know, at this time we had to use the terrain even more than today, because as I said, there was no snowmaking and um, there was no groundworks. Um, there was no big support, not that many hours has been paid for the cat drivers and, and everything. So um, we really had to act quite smart and use the terrain as fast as possible. So this was the, the main challenge. And then, of course, we started with uh, normal jumps. At this time, we tried to figure out, okay, how this works. I remember when we built jumps, they had to take off with 20 degrees. Come on, this is you know crazy when you look at the uh, olympic big air now has uh, 39 degrees so the geometries and everything has started to develop this time and uh, it was it was quite interesting and fun to see you know experimenting was good yeah do you remember because uh, i like at least in my experience that starting something new especially a business you make a lot of mistakes at the beginning is there any early learning experiences that that really stood out to you um yeah i mean i wouldn't say there was really something wrong you know when you start to experimenting there's it can't be really wrong you know of course it's not on the on the final stage where we are now but um this was part of the development process right so um we we, we just keep on trying and experimenting this is actually still a huge character of uh, free skiing and slow slide skiing right even even big mountain riding this is this is actually it's, it's all about you know i just transfer um what i've done as a as a skier into uh into the business so i keep on trying give you know experimenting it was similar to free skiing to be honest you know and, and of course, you, you can't, you need to, you know, you need to be careful and don't do crazy, you know, bullshit where you risk too much, actually, even on, on the sports side, you know, if you want to become a very good sportsman, you can't risk too much, you know, you need to take it under control and have, you have to feel safe when you try some new tricks. Um, and it's similar to the business side, you know, um, I, I never did something totally crazy where I didn't feel comfortable. So this is actually the things how I, 
you know, have been growing as a sportsman and as a businessman as well. Wow. I love that. That's great. And so, like I told you, I, d- I did some research. So I'd like to talk about uh, the Nine Nights Project before we talk about the Olympics, because the Nine Nights Project, every year, at least in the, in the U.S., we see these videos and we basically think, like, what the hell is going on in Europe? Like, they build a castle out of snow. And so this one interview with Red Bull, you said that this project took three years of snowmaking or two years of snowmaking and then three years of planning. So could you tell us a bit more about that event? Um, I, yeah, that was, I remember it was in nine nights in uh, Livigno in Italy. And uh, we had an idea um, to create this um, combined feature with a half pipe in the middle, you know, where, where Jasper was doing the, the, the double backflip from one side to the other and uh, the death gap we called and um, I remember when uh, we show up with the first idea to build something like this I made a rough calculation about the snow amount we need and we figured out okay fuck this is way too much you know we can't even produce this in in one year and then um, uh, we sit together with uh, with Nico of course and uh, um, we thought about okay how can we make this um, happen and then we show up with the idea okay Let's talk to the resort if they actually are able to, um, um, you know, to cover the snow after the event this year. Um, so, so, the, so the idea was um, to use the snow from two events plus the additional uh, produced snow from the third event to create this massive feature. So. This is how we, we started. We started with the first event, built um, Audi 9's uh, second time in Livigno, I think. And after we just, um, you know, saved the snow, we covered them. Next year, we produced the snow again to build the second feature, covered the snow again, saved them during the summer. And on the third year, we produced again some snow on the old one. And then uh, we had enough snow to, to create this uh, massive thing with half pipe and, and the two jumps left and right wow it was a kind of process <laughs> yeah yeah so what's the what's the you know it's such a big project who do, where does it start does you know nico at at nines does he approach you do you approach them and then you know after you guys agree okay let's let's do let's work together what what's the the planning process and like the envisioning of of the actual feature um i think we need to go back a little bit to answer this question yep. because um i remember when nico and me was um competitors on, on frisky competitions so it was quite interesting times so when we know each other for, for a long time and um when when his career went you know also he starts orientating in different um ideas same as me so i went to the technical side you know as a park builder and he went to the organization thing as a you know he was organizing events he was um, promoting sportsmen and so on and um once he gave me a call and and asked me hey um, i would like to do an event called uh nine nights and uh he explained me the idea and then he asked me hey can you help me to find a resort can you help me to build it and then I tell, of course, um, let's just throw together our competences and then uh, 
we have started um, to create this event. And since the first um, event or since the first moment, I'm always together with Nico um, on the design part. So there's actually a quite cool thing every year, sitting together, you know, making the designs, exchanging ideas, bring new people in, involve um, other writers. Uh, it's actually super, super nice because this is, you know, where where everybody is talking about, um, yeah, their own experience, their visions, what they have. And this is super, super interesting, you know, compared to uh, sitting in front of Excel sheets and calculating, you know, amount of snow for, for the event later. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these, these are really big ideas. These are, you know, these features aren't your normal th when, you know, when a normal person thinks, oh, let's build something for a terrain park, they're not thinking as big as that. So do you, how do you, what's the brainstorming process? Like, do you just let all ideas flow as, as ridiculous as possible? Or do you, you know, how, how do you get in that frame of mind where you're like, yeah, let's build a, let's build, use three years worth of snow to build a castle with a half pipe in the middle? Um. You know the the um, let's say the the problem on on the skiers side or even on uh, Nico's side is that people can't really imagine what is possible to build out of snow. You know because they are not they don't have the knowledge from the construction side or even from a constru construction progress side. So I've been working as an engineer and I was, um, you know, planning and developing houses and, and stuff like this. And uh, for me, it was kind of normal to think even through more years in a period, you know, because there are many, um, many construction sites, they also not, they have also not been done in two weeks, you know. So it's kind of normal. And uh, I try to, what I always do is I try to inspire as a, um, as a technician, I try to inspire the athletes or Nico and tell them, look, just let me know what you have in mind. And it will be my problem to build it. Okay. So just think crazy, you know, Yeah. sky is the limit. Just let me know, even if it's super, super crazy. And then I came up with some ideas to, to um, give them some examples. Look, of course we can build a tunnel. Why not? And then uh, you're sure you are sure. I say, yeah, fucking, we're sure. Of course, we, it's just a tunnel. Of course, it takes hours. It takes a lot of chainsaws. It will be pain in the ass for my boys later, sitting in the tunnel and chainsawing the whole day, you know, with face mask and everything. But of course, we can build a tunnel. You know, it's nothing what humans has done has never done before. So it's just a snow tunnel. And uh, then they start to realize, okay, okay, these guys can do this, and they can build not only five meters, if it needs to be 30 meter high pile of snow, okay, let's build a 30 meter high pile of snow, whereas the, there's no problem, actually, if we have enough snow, and even if it takes three years to get them, why not? And then they start slowly to understand, okay, um, this is what we can do. And then um, the whole process become more and more crazy, you know, and this is actually the a um, little bit the secret behind that um, I was also I was always pushing the the athletes and Nico I tell them hey just tell me we can build everything because snow is such a great material I love it personally so yeah just let me know what you want to build and let me figure out how we can do this 
Yeah. And so how closely do you work with the athletes um, for these projects? Are you, are you consulting with them as if, you know, they're a part of the business, you know, like they're a vital part of the team or is it, you know, like who, who, who has the most say, or is it kind of equal? Um, I mean, athletes always part of the team, you know, part of the whole story. It's, 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 it's about, it's, it's still uh, about free skiing and the athletes and their stories. And of course we have this kind of um, meetings where we involve the athletes and their thoughts. I mean, this is super important, even for me as a designer, I love to talk to uh, to the athletes, you know, because um, um, I remember um, when I was still um, writing almost every day, I was too much focused on my own skills. So I actually I, I actually became a better designer when I stopped thinking about my own skills, you know. So there was a there was a moment I, I remember where I said where I told myself, okay, fuck, you're you're not had anymore you're you're not there there's so many people they they're writing so much better and more crazy um so i stopped thinking about myself and i was just watching these guys and try to figure out okay this is crazy what they're doing and then i i thought okay and now it's my let's say task as a designer to go one step ahead of these guys so i tried to isolate the status quo always even here on the Olympics, I try to isolate the status quo. And for the next event, I try to step ahead, you know. Even if uh, maybe some of the writers um, can't really expecting until they see the designs. So this is um, something uh, how I work uh, now. Mm -hmm. So as a summary, the athletes inspires me and I try to inspire them back, you know. So it's a kind of process. Yeah. I love that. And so it looks like, and you know, again, please correct me if I have this wrong, just based off your website, it looks like the first Olympics you were involved with was uh, 2018 in, in Pyeongchang. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So how did you, who was your connection with the Olympics and how did you get involved with, you know, the arguably the biggest event in the world? Um. I mean, especially the Olympics, there's a, there's a special story behind, you know, and this story is connected to my conflict I had 22 years ago, you know, when nobody was respecting free skiing at all at this time. And um, when I seen that, um, that the development goes further and further, I was quite early thinking, okay, um, if FIS is um, going into the sport, um, they need someone who is from the sport, who, who understands the sport. You know, I was a little scared at this time that FIS is taking over the sport and then there are some people um, inside, they have no idea about the sport. And um, I was a little scared and I told myself, okay, how you can change something? And it's simple, you know, if you want to change the system, you need to get into it. It's hard to change it from the outside. So I was, um, uh, I remember it's a couple, 10 years ago, I just um, give them a call and, and, and tell them, hey, look, because they are based in Switzerland, right? And we are quite close here in Germany to the head office of, uh, of the FIS. And I told them, look, um, I'm quite close to you guys. I would like to show up and, and, and talk about this new development, what is going on. And uh, I went to, um, to their headquarter 
and uh, we had a cool meeting. And since then, I was more than less in contact with them. So we uh, exchanged some ideas. And when it came to the uh, to the Olympic discipline, um, I told them, look, I would actually love to be involved in the in the course design and show the world what what we have developed the last uh, years. And um, yeah, they then they made this kind of um, um, I don't know if it was a yeah it was a kind of pitch. So they invite actually all the companies around the world. Um, which has been able to deliver such a course in Korea. And uh, then there was a kind of process where everybody was, um, you know, made the kind of design and was explaining why um, they want to do it. And uh, yeah, we've been lucky that they have been choosing our design in the end and, and, and our thoughts. And uh, this was actually the, um, yeah, the moment where I realized, okay, whew, now we can really show the world what slow style means and um yeah i was i was super happy at this moment i i nicely remember this yeah i mean it must have been a huge honor were you i i mean you you had already done stuff you know you had already built amazing parks but having you know being chosen by the ioc or whoever within the olympics chooses that what, how did you feel? Were you nervous to have such a big responsibility for building the course? Um, actually, no. I was super happy. And I was so hyped. There was no space to be nervous, you know. And uh, we, have done so many, we, have, we have done so many designs until this point when we've been chosen. So my, um, my, my table was full of designs and everybody of them was super great. So I was felt super comfortable. And uh, was super stoked, motivated, and I went into it super deep. You know, it was that was great. You know, to get this. Yeah. So this year's this year's course it has a lot of you know the Chinese influence with the design. Did you incorporate any of that um, in Korea? Uh, we have tried. You know, I have a kind of checklist for my for my course designs, and one of these six check uh, checkpoints is um, a topic. So I always try to use or find a kind of topic which is connected to the course design uh, where people can tell the story about it, you know. And um, in Korea, we have tried to create something like this and we have started to experimenting with this, with this house thing. In Korea, we had a, a house because also in Korea, the special style of how they're building traditional houses is quite different to Europe or the US. And um, we thought, okay, let's integrate this house style as a story. Uh, but at this time, it wasn't, let's say, well done as we have done now in China. Uh, but this was actually the beginning uh, where we tried to integrate some culture things and moment monuments in, in, in the course design. Wow. I have to ask you, have you ever played the video game Shred Sauce? Um, uh, is it this is a free ski game, right? Isn't it's it? a free ski game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I've seen him. They have they've built the course, right? Yes, exactly. So the Olympic recreation on Shred Sauce was one of the most popular maps forever. So have you have you ever played your own your own course on Shred Sauce? 
No, but I sent a link to my son. I think he's playing right now. Okay, good. So yeah, it's just, it's so cool. I mean, I feel like that would be, you know, it's funny, like in the game, you could build whatever course you want and you could build whatever you want. It's kind of funny because you do the same thing, but in real life. So <laughs> that's actually, uh, it's pretty cool that you're at least aware that Shred Sauce recreates what you build in real life. Yeah, it's it's cool to see. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you got the so you secured that Olympics, and so now we're up to China. So how did this version of uh, of you having the Olympic um, bid, so to say, how did this all play out? Um, it was actually I I remember it's four years ago when I was um, there the first time in China, standing up there on the mountain and seeing the terrain, which was super wide, um, has, a, has a nice um, angle and, and a cool length. So everything was perfect chosen actually from, from IOC and FIS side. And um, um, I was sitting down and you know went through my checklist and started to feel it a little bit. I was still in China at this time. And um, when, when I came to the point, okay, what kind of story we can tell uh, with the course here in China? Um, of course, I, I came up with the, with the Chinese wall. And on my first sketches, I put the Chinese wall in the middle of the course as a 200 meter long wall. And my, my first idea was to ride them like, um, you know, from all sides, left and right. And um, I made some sketches and I put it in the computer, did some 3Ds. And on my, on my first meeting with the Chinese and with the FIS, where I present them some ideas, fuck, I remember everybody was super, super stoked. They don't even care about, you know, chums or whatever. They just have seen the wall and how it was connected with the, with the rideable features and the rails and, you know, the watchtowers. And they've been, they, they just realized, fuck, this is amazing. You know, that was two three chinese stand up and was clapping and it was and it was okay i think we will go with the chinese wall now so it was actually the moment where it was clear that from this moment on we need to develop um during the next years and during the test events how this could work out with the with the chinese wall so it was quite um uh, you know clear on the, on a very early stage that this will be a main thing on this on this course design mm -hmm. and so i i'm not sure where i read it i think it was on new schoolers um that the wall itself like is it helps out with the wind is that true yeah yeah that's true it, it this is what uh, you know the last three years i was planning the wall in the middle of the course and uh, i have planning them uh writable from both sides so the idea was to write on the wall but also get down, get up again, went through with tunnels and everything. So the, the sketches I, I have, they're even more crazy than the course design we, we build now. Um, but um, of course, you know, it's not only up to me as a designer to decide everything, what is going on here. The Olympic games are a huge uh, event and there are so many people uh, involved. They also need to do their work. For example, the, the broadcasters, so the OBS guys, they, I, I went to their headquarter in the summer and they explained me actually how they, how they work, you know, with camera positions, what is possible from their side. And I get a better understanding also from, from their job. 
and uh, they told me look if it becomes too crazy with that angles or shadow sides we can't you know capture everything well for tv and for for the people that are interesting in it and um i i get this uh, understanding you know and um then the, the the major things show up with the wind so since three years during the test events we realize okay fuck there's a constantly strong west wind on this terrain and um as as we could see now on the whole venue there's been wind protection built on the half pipe or on the aerial side and um they, they also thought about to build this kind of wind protection for the slope style but in the end um you know because of um the massive groundwork we did and the the table they became higher than the terrain was the wind fences needs to be that high that it was simply too crazy you know it would be even looking super ugly and um uh, we thought okay what what can we do actually from um from a designer side to uh to integrate a kind of wind protection and then i thought okay let's take the wall you know because um uh, i just thought okay where's a good place um to be protected from the wind it's behind the wall right so okay then i was shifting the wall idea from the middle to the very left side rider's left side um so this is the west side where the wind is coming from um and i extend the wall um on all rail sections as high as possible and um, then i was creating the sections one two three the rail sections uh in a kind of terraces um so the highest point was the wall and all the rails from there from from riders left to riders right are designed by um terraces they always going a step lower so this creates actually a perfect angle for the for the cameras because you look like into a tribune and um, it creates a great wind protection from the from the west side and we still keep on going with the um style of the of the great wall and was of course integrating all these elements like the watchtower and, and stuff like this mm -hmm. so this is actually the the story behind it was a was was great great um development during four years actually yeah and so another you know unique feature about the course is that the jumps are pretty non-traditional for a for a slope style course you know it's not it's not three standard big air jumps so what was your thinking you know i i've i listen i did a little bit of background on on your thoughts on this so like you like to really push the the boundaries for what's possible within you know the competition and keeping it non-standard so what was your you know how how were you keeping that in your mind during the planning process um yeah you, you are totally right this is again connected to my conflict you know that um uh slow style and free skiing needs to be creative so I'm, I'm super scared that this sports became standardized in, in somehow and uh, this is why i always try to um create new things you know and and um, um give the uh, riders some opportunities even from their side to be creative and um you know develop new new tricks and things and this is why i was um coming up with this uh, school jumps with the with the roller jump with the side jumps and everything um because i figured out when you when you look around um 
there is more and more standardized three jumps in a row. So even on X Games, we can see this now. And uh, I'm not sure if, uh, you know, if if this is that cool. So maybe the, the school jumps are on the on the first time a little bit more complicated, and maybe riders needs to get used to it or um, whatever using some some roller features or side side hits. Um, they need to get into it. But I mean, this is you know. This is again what we have done 20 years ago. We still keep on experimenting and trying things out. And uh, this is my personal philosophy to not stop this anymore, you know, mm. never. So um, I'm not sure how we can develop the jumps further. We are quite close to a kind of, let's say, standardized jump, same as in a halfpipe. You know, halfpipe back in the days has been way smaller. So they developed over years to become a seven meter high um icy standardized crazy pipe you know and um on the especially on the jumps i think we are close to a kind of standardized big air jump uh, because now we know what what works um how we can do it with snowcats how steep landings we can build and so on um but for the slope style i think there's the only sport infrastructure they can be still quite um um creative you know and i would like to keep this in mind every day and on every design so i really personally hate to do some things um again you know i always try to integrate something new so um i told you my for my design point list there's one point on it which really reminds me okay don't do the same thing as on your last course try to invent something new so this is a point on my list for every new uh slope side course mm -hmm. and so what one portion of, of slope style that's interesting to me you know because jumps jumps they they go huge and there's a lot of innovation but if, it seems like in the rail section of slope style a lot of the times they'll do very safe you know, pretty basic tricks up top, just so, you know, they, they have that section clean and then they can go to the jumps. How do you, in your design, how do you encourage them to get more creative and, and you know, and do more difficult tricks up top rather than, you know, just standard, whatever, two on, four out, two on, six out? Like, how do you in encourage creativity on that first section? Um, I think the problem is that on the, on this lobster competition, there is... Um, kind of pressure for the for the riders they want to win and of course they sometimes they choose the safe the safe options um just to avoid some some fails and i can understand this um so this is why i um um i like to build this kind of events like the audi nines because or other normal snow parks or rail events because this is um the moment where the athletes can train crazy things you know they will not start to try out something never done before in an Olympic run. You know, I personally wouldn't do this. It's, you know, it's not it's not a chip session with your friends. It, that's the Olympic Games. You know, you have three runs and you need to nail them. So there's not crazy time to experiment in something. So this is why we um, try to um, 
um, put some standardized rails in these sections, but also give uh, those guys, they want to go big, you know, with huge transfers or up on the house, you know, give them the opportunity, you know, just to stand out from, you know, maybe the, 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 the standard field, you know. Um, um, yeah, so it's actually not the time to experimenting on Olympic Games, um, but we still try to challenge the athletes. So this is why the rails are, yeah, I try to don't use that much standardized features and standardized takeoffs. So there are always little options uh, where, the, where the athletes can figure out um, to, to go really crazy if they want if they want to risk it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Because, you, you know, that house, the speed was giving some people trouble. But I think, uh, I think it, it, it was when, when they did it right, especially, you know, Nick Gepper's doing whatever, like a six with a safety out of it. It, it worked out really nice when it did work for them. So I, I, I like that you did that. Um, and that makes me think, like, what do you, from your perspective, um, you know, sometimes the course gets slow, like this year, especially towards the end of the competition, the commentators, whether they were right or wrong, were saying, oh, it looks like the course is getting slow and they're having trouble keeping their speed. You know, how much do you guys account for that in the planning process? Yeah, yeah. Weather conditions is is another checkpoint on the design list, of course. Um, so on one side, we have a great opportunity here in China because it's constantly cold, and we don't have that much snow, so we can create something crazy like a Chinese wall or complicated organic shaped features, which is some um, which wouldn't be uh, you know possible to maintain in uh, in europe or in, in the us or in scandinavia where you're expecting half a meter or a meter snow during the night you know the course will be i don't know will be will be gone for a week so we couldn't even run an, a competition there so this is why um gives us opportunities you know for the course design but on the other side of course this crazy coldness here um under minus minus 20 25 degrees you know um it makes the snow quite dry so and this creates sometimes some some speed issues um so especially for the jumps we have a we have developed a calculation program so where we calculate the speed and the flight curves and uh, the jump design is um i never go to the maximum you know i always expecting the worst situation cold wind and snowfall and in these conditions the jumps needs to still work you know so this is, uh, for example, sometimes the jumps looking small for the for the very good guys. They sand them down, and then it, sometimes it look oh right, that's maybe the smallest. The, the jump is too small, but if you look to the whole spectrum of athletes, even to the girls, you know, or in the field of bad weather conditions, then then they barely made it to the knuckle, you know. So this spectrum is always important to keep in mind. And uh, of course, I need to start on the on the very end of the spectrum, where the, where the girls can hit the jumps, where everybody can hit it on on bad weather conditions, and um, from this on, um, uh, actually, this is my yeah the the goal to 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 keep an event running even in bad conditions, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, especially for the for the rail for the rails out there on the house. Um, 
I personally think the speed uh, wasn't that crazy issue. I think when, when I watched the riders, they were struggling to get up on the house. They made little mistakes on section one, actually. You know, they didn't made it clean. If, if they went off from the race clean on section one, they could gain the speed for the house easily. So when you, this is what, what, what I thought, you know, when I've seen um, the riders struggling to get up there on, on, on the rail. So yeah. you need to be, yeah, you need to be perfect done on section one. <laughs> yeah, big risk, big reward. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned like the some of the calculations that go into it. So uh, what sort of, have you developed your own systems for, you know, calculating, okay, if the, you know, if the kicker's a hundred feet tall, you know, how big does the landing need to be? Like what, what sort of math um, and programs are you dealing with now versus what you're doing at the beginning? Um, we have, yeah, we have developed um, a software to calculate flight curves and jumps and speeds and fraction and, and everything. So there was a friend of mine is an, is an engineer um and um he is also a very good snowboarder and um he was interesting what we are doing and uh, on the beer we have been talking about some would be cool to have a program you know to calculate just to um just to let's say control our feelings actually you know and to give all these let's say clients um a better feeling about professional of from our sport and from our construction side and he said yeah that doesn't sound that crazy so and he started to, to uh, programming this kind of um you know uh, program so i don't know I'm, I'm not this kind of it programmer for uh, for, for these things but uh, he he meant well we, we still use it you know not that often anymore because it's quite um you know we have built so many jumps and uh, we have so many profiles on our database so it's, it's not a secret anymore, you know, to build a good jump at these days. Maybe 10 years ago when people were still experimenting, but um, this is what I thought before. Um, we are close to a, to a kind of standardized, um, you know, geometry of a big air jump. And this is actually a knowledge which is, you know, open and so many good shapers around the world has grown up and, and they know how to build a good jump. You know, it's not a secret anymore. And um, nobody needs to be scared if you ride a snow park at these days. Um, it is, from my perspective, it is really kind of safe. You know, it's not like 15 years ago. Wait, this was the time you should be a little scared to ride some jumps sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, especially, you know, the old videos of like Simon Dumont sending it oh, yeah. to, to flat and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wow, it's really interesting, man. And um, so I also wanted to ask you because um, you know slope style, a lot of room for creativity. But you were also involved in the big air jump this year, um, and so will that be a permanent structure in that park? Um, yeah, the the big air they they have created in Beijing is uh, for me personally. This is the the biggest sign that we made it with our sport. So um, I, I was explaining you my conflict I had 22 years ago that nobody was exacting the sport. This conflict is done since exactly three days. So because I, I can tell you, so um, 
you know, we have built so many big air jumps back in the days made on scaffold. It was always temporary. And um, I thought, okay, when, when, um, when I heard about the first time about the idea to build a permanent big air stadium in the middle of Beijing, I thought, fuck, this is a joke. But then I, I realized, okay, come on, we have made it to an Olympic discipline. And of course, now we need a stadium for this, you know. You, nobody is thinking about to building a ski jump stadium on scaffold, right? Or a bobsled track or ice ring or whatever. Of course, we made it to an official Olympic discipline and now we need stadiums. And uh, with this, with this um, mindset, I was super happy that um, the, the Chinese and FIS asked me to be involved in the development of this um, uh, stadium. And um, it was super cool time during the last four years being involved, seeing the development, seeing the speed, how the Chinese could create this kind of um, monument um, architecture thing was really, really great to see. And um, yeah, as I told you, this was for me a key moment in my life, actually, when this became true. Um, and now we are, I, I personally think now we made it and we're on the eye level with all the other uh, sports like ski jumping, bobsled or, or whatever. Wow. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a game changer, definitely. Yeah. What did you think when uh, they first showed you, hey, this is going to be next to a bunch of cooling towers you know it's a lot of people online were like what the hell this is this does not look like a beautiful winter scene what did you think when you said hey you know basically looks like a nuclear facility let's build a uh, a ski jump here i mean first of all you know this is far from a nuclear environment this was yeah. just a steel factory you have it in the us we have it in germany we have it all around the world you know and uh, everywhere people starts renovating these let's say areas right we do it in germany as well you know and um everybody some architects trying to use old let's say parts of these infrastructures and this these cooling towers you know they are just um massive you know and they have started to um build something inside so in the future you can go there with your wife and have a wedding there inside and it's crazy you know it's crazy, and uh, when we when we're talking about winter wonderland, I mean, fuck you, you! Look at the kids; they ski around the world. They ski in the cities, you know. They do handrails everywhere. They're doing crazy wall rides in downtown, you know. Everywhere, everywhere it is snowing and cold enough to get a little bit snow. Even I remember when we went to uh, ice rinks and asked. The, ask the, the hockey players when they get the old snow out, you know, from, from ice skating. Even in summertime, we catch them with the cars. We went there with the pickup, get some snow on the on the, on the pickup. And then we, we've been driving to the next rail in the city, you know. There was no winter at all. There was no ski resort around far from winter wonderland. And we just hit the rail there, you know. Um, and now we are in, in this, in, in the center of Beijing, in this old, let's say, industrial environment. And when you look around, there are beautiful lakes, you know, they have started growing trees, there would be a park around. Um, I've seen so many um, nice uh, 
buildings around. I was talking to the architects and I've seen their visions about this area. It's beautiful, super beautiful. And uh, these cooling towers um, are just monuments, which actually reminds the people, look, um, these are old cooling towers from a steel factory. Um, so, but now we use it to get into there for restaurants, for wedding or whatever. So it's, um, it's really, really great to see. And I'm, um, yeah, I, I would tell this critical guys, they, they tell uh, nuclear or whatever. I tell them, look, go there. It's super beautiful, nice. And it's a big honor that we could create our monument, the first permanent big air stadium for free skiing and snowboarding in this environment. It's super cool. That's incredible. So I, that, that brings us to basically all I have. Um, I got some just stray questions for you to close things out. So looking around the world, and in your experience, and I, and I know you said you've, you've never been to the US yet, but what is the best, what mountain has the best park crew and that it's building the best features? Ooh, oh, that's, that's a good question. You know, the question is actually what, what, what means the best park, you know? Yeah. I was, you know, we, we also did some mistakes in the past when we have only thought, as I told you, from our own perspectives as good writers and um, from our perspective as, let's say, kind of core people. And so there was a time where we missed a little bit the connection um, to explain to people, hey, you can actually start early. Let's involve the kids as well. So when you ask me what is the best park in the world, I tell you it, it, it's a kid slope style. You know, and this is a product we created um, four years ago when, when I was designing the, the, or no, eight years ago when, when we designed the course for Korea. So of course my I have three kids and I was looking looking over my shoulder and they they asked me what are you doing and I tell them yeah I, I design again some ramps and stuff like this and and then I came up with the idea okay let let's build it in um, in in our garden so we made a little park in our garden I made it with my kids and then I came to up with the idea okay why not uh, build this setup in small for all the kids. So, and then we developed a product called Kids Slope Style. So we built a very, very small park um, in, 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 my, uh, in my home resort. And we built a gate, you know, a huge entrance gate that everything looks like an official competition, like the Olympic Games. And we put an information plate on it where we explain the parents what slope style means. So, it, this still the parents are you know scared that the kids going with their skis sliding over metal they're destroying edges and stuff like this and um, i try to explain them look let them go let them try let them jump let them destroy their skis anyway they will they could now become an olympic gold medalist this is the discipline it's all about this just let them try and um, if i could choose something i would build thousands of these parks you know just to give the kids the opportunity to step into this world where we have been growing and what we fell in love with. And uh, yeah, so hard to answer this question, um, but I personally like Little Kids Park really, because this is where everything starts. And we should, yeah, keep on going, keep on more 
I know it's hard for you know young boys with 16, 17, 18 years. They they just want to go crazy. They want to go big. And but now for me as a as a father with my own three kids, I, I get this um, you know idea. Um, if we really want to be um, want to develop the sports sustainable even for the future in the next years, we need also to think um, a little bit more about smaller parks and how we get uh, the kids into this uh, into the sports. Mm-hmm. And where have you been able to implement those parks? Uh, we we have implemented uh, those parks in Germany in a couple of uh, resorts, and um, we keep on trying to um, explaining this to other ski resorts. So I hope there will be. I'm I'm looking forward to a cooperation actually with the ski federation as well that they understand. Okay, maybe we can give a little support also to the to the ski resort money wise to create these little parks to create further athletes for the sport. You know, no infrastructure, no no sportsmen. I think. Yeah. Wow. And so you mentioned, I think I think before the call. Um, you know, your your primary focus is Europe, and now you're expanding into Asia. What are your plans for North America? Uh, so far, I have no plans um, for Americans. As, as I told you, I, I don't know why, but uh, I was always super crazy inspired by, by, by the Americans. And um, I think there's everything started, you know, since I bought the first ski there. Um, but I never made it. Um, I was super busy the last 22 years here in Europe to grow the company. And uh, um, I think you guys, you know, you, you also making great stuff over there, you know, um, everybody from Europe also is looking to the US, you know, to um, X Games and Dutor and, and what you guys are doing. It's, it's great. So actually, there was no need, you know, so but when I look to the to the other side, you know, Asia, China, Middle East, even Europe, there were so much things to do, and I didn't have any time actually to to visit you guys. So, but it's um, it's on my list, and um, definitely uh, after so many years, I, I I need to visit so many friends now. Um, um, I think I need to plan maybe two three months actually to get all these things done. <laughs> I have on the list. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it's a country the size of of Europe itself, so there's a there's a yeah. lot to see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. The last question, and this is, and so I think like what's so inspiring about you is that, you know, you're, you're somebody who is, who's developed a legitimate, you know, true blue career within the ski industry that, you know, it's not like you're picking up three part-time jobs to make it work. Like this is a legitimate job within the ski industry. So I was uh, wondering if you could share some advice you have for people that want to do something similar or that would like to start their, their own business and, you know, and chase their passion. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a simple tip I can give you. Just watch um, and ask yourself, what are your biggest conflicts? And then you have your business model. Simple. Watching for conflicts and solving them. This is what I've done my whole life. I've never thought about to run a company. I've never had planned to be a, businessman or entrepreneur i was just solving conflicts that i had by myself that's it there you have it dirk i want to thank you for coming on today it was awesome to get to talk to you and get to know you more and to get to see your product on television so thank you for coming on the show thank you for everything you've done for skiing 
And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. Do you want to leave us off with anything? Um, yeah, I, I also can just, uh, you know, thank you guys um, that you were interesting on the stories behind. And I, I personally very thankful that I could actually do all these things, you know, it's not only up to me, you know, it's, it was always a huge and a big team around me. Um, all my shapers, they, they work for, for the company now, they, they're doing a great job. Um, at the moment, my wife is sitting at home, you know, with three kids, try to handle them. I'm, I'm here, have fun since seven weeks in China now. Um, so it's, it's, it's all together. So <clears throat> it's uh, actually up to me to thank you um, and, and all of you guys and around there to, uh, you know, giving us that good feedback and, uh, you know, giving me personally the opportunity to do what I love to do. So I'm I'm great uh, thankful. So thank you for my thank you very much for this.